thank you. It is great to be with you all. Great to be with those of you in the room. Great to be with those of you joining us online. And I hope you've had a good summer. Uh, one of the unexpected things I think about this summer for me, 2023, has been the comeback of cinema with two quite big hits that have come out. Uh, one is a thought-provoking, moving, action-filled a film about what it means to be human. And another is a film about a bomb. Now, I'm sure it is very good. My husband tells me it's very good. Um, but any, as soon as a film hits two hours or more, I'm out. Like, I cannot do that. And um, so I think you can probably tell which camp I'm in. Um, I loved going to see Barbie. I thought the acting was great. I thought um, it was uh, clever and hilarious. And I um, went along with some of my friends. So here's a photo of us had to be done. Um, and uh, we also took our Kens along. Um, that's John on the left there. There was no persuasion that went into that Hawaiian shirt. That was volunteered. So who else has seen Barbie then? Anyone else join me in that? Yeah. And um, what about Oppenheimer? Not as many. And what about anyone been seen both? Okay, a few versatile people. Um, now, I do quite like a range of film and TV because I tend to be in different moods and I like to watch different things depending on the mood I'm in. Um, the main mood I have is I like something to relax to, something that's going to be funny or um, particularly it's, I find it relaxing if I know what the ending is, uh, which might be a chick flick because it's obvious what's going to happen from the very first scene, they're going to fall in love. Um, or if it's something I've seen before and I know that actually, like, I know what's going to happen in the end so I can just relax and know it's all going to be okay. I find that quite a nice thing uh, to watch and relaxing. But the other mood I have is I like something clever that makes me think. Maybe like a murder mystery where you're trying to work out what's happening. Um, or uh, I watched a, a TV show recently, the, uh, the first episode, at the end there was a, a plot twist, it's called This Is Us. At the end of the first episode, I didn't see it coming and I had to rewind and watch the whole thing all over again just to be like, how did I miss it? It left me thinking afterwards. Now, in Gideon's story today, as we look at this final episode of Gideon, we actually get both these genres. We get something that's quite comforting because we know the ending, but also there turns up at the end a plot twist. It's both comforting and shocking. Because up to this point, we've seen Gideon be called by God, a fearful man hiding in a wine press, called to go and defeat the Midianites. And then uh, he's had lots of reassurance along the way. Uh, he's had lots of questions. He's got an army, and then it's been whittled down to 300 men. And now for the moment of truth, how will the battle play out? But rather than going into the battle, feeling on the edge of our seats, oh no, what's going to happen? It's actually quite relaxing because we know what's going to happen. We know that God is going to win. But then just when we think all the action has finished... We're left with this moment of, oh, how did that happen? A plot twist happens for Gideon, and it gives us lots to process on when we finish the story. And as with the rest of Gideon's story, we're going to look at how this isn't a fictional story. This isn't an irrelevant story set thousands of years ago that's just nice to read. This is a story that speaks to us today. We actually live in this same story, the story of God working through his people. So we're going to look first at how we can have confidence before the victory, and then we're going to learn from Gideon's mistakes at how we can have dependence after the victory. So first, confidence before the victory. 
Up to this point, Gideon has felt all sorts of emotions. He's been shocked that he's been chosen by God. He's needed lots of reassurance. Um, He's had occasional bursts of courage. And then on the eve of the battle that he's been so fearful about, we get a new emotion, confidence. So let's read the account in uh, Judges 7 to see what brings about this change. It says, if you're afraid, or God says to Gideon, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he went uh, with his servant Pura down to the outpost of the camp. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. The reason for this change in Gideon is because he finally gets it. He finally gets it. Victory is certain. Victory is guaranteed. God has guided him to enter the enemy camp to the ex- in the exact right moment, to the exact right place, so that he could hear this dream that from the mouth of the enemy, victory is decided. And yet, Gideon probably should have known this already. He knew the people, the history of his people. He knew that again and again, God had rescued the Israelites. God had brought about victory for them, no matter how unlikely it looked, no matter how outnumbered Israel were, or weak or hopeless, God had been able to bring about victory. And look at this impact, the impact that this revelation has on Gideon. He gets back to his army and he says, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands has past tense because when God promises to do something it is as good as done Gideon could have confidence before the victory because the victory is guaranteed and we can have confidence too because our victory is guaranteed I probably don't need to tell you today that there are all kinds of battles that we face in this life you might be facing a battle with your health with physical health or mental health Maybe you're struggling with self-esteem, constantly fighting voices that tell you that you're not loved or you have to be approved of by people to be worth anything. Maybe you're battling past hurts. People have intentionally or unintentionally hurt you or, or maybe you're the one that's done the hurting and you're battling shame from that. Maybe you're battling the pain of having lost a loved one either through death or estrangement. And all these battles come from this overarching battle against evil that's going on in the world. You see, in the beginning, God designed us to know him and enjoy relationship with him in perfect bodies in a perfect world. But humans decided to reject the authority of God and instead give power to evil. And as a result, we live in a broken world where evil things happen, but also selfishness and evil reside in the human heart. Our bodies and our minds don't function as they should. We have thoughts, feelings, and actions which hurt ourselves and others. The things we do wrong, that sin, have massive repercussions, and death causes immense pain. But here's the good news. 2,000 years ago, God himself came down in human form as Jesus, and he fought the ultimate battle against evil. He lived the perfect life that we failed to live, and he died even though he's the only one who never sinned. 
And through his death and resurrection, he defeated evil and he defeated death and he defeated sin and he showed that they no longer have the final say over our lives. Come on. They don't have ultimate power in this world anymore. The Bible puts it as he made a spectacle of them. God's goodness and love won the day. Jesus' death and resurrection was the decisive battle in which goodness and life won and win forevermore. One of the New Testament writers puts it this way, where, O oh, death is your victory. Where, O oh, death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus brings about a new age and a new kingdom in which we can start to experience this victory. The victory has been inevitable from the moment Jesus got out of that tomb. From that moment, and we can live in confidence of this victory that we will start, and we will start to see victories today. We can see healing, both physical and emotional. I believe some of you received healing whilst we were worshiping today. We can see people realize for the first time that they are unconditionally loved and they are enough for their father. We can see people forgive themselves and forgive others. And I believe we're gonna see some awesome victories in our 21 days of prayer and fasting because prayer and fasting are such a powerful combination where we say we care more about praying in victories for ourselves and others than getting an extra half hour sleep in the morning when we declare that we care more about hungering after God and his things than actually satisfying the hunger in our stomach. I believe we will see victories as a result of the ground we take in this season. I felt particularly that we're gonna see victories as well over some injustices of the world. So I feel like some people here who have got something that God specifically laid on their heart, a very specific area of injustice, and you're actually gonna see the tide turn back as you call in Jesus' victory for those people that are suffering injustice. And sometimes we see immediate answers to prayer. Let's believe for those in the 21 days. Sometimes we have to wait a while or even years for our answer. And sometimes we have to wait until the next life where we'll receive perfect bodies and where there'll be no death or pain or tears. We still experience pain and grief in this life and it's okay to have questions about why we haven't seen the answers we hoped we would. But we can also have confidence that our victory is coming. Your victory is coming. One day in this life or the next, it is coming. I saw the power of this posture of confidence recently and we took a load of our young people away to Limitless Youth Festival um, and Sophia, one of our Cambridge young people, um, she'd lost her dad four years ago to cancer and as you would expect, that was a horrible thing to happen to her, really hard and it left her with lots of questions about God and how he could have let this happen and over the first couple of days in the ministry time, we saw the Holy Spirit ministering to her beautifully as she released some of that pain and bitterness that had been building up. And she made some powerful decisions that she was gonna pursue Jesus, even in the midst of pain and in the midst of questions. And then on the third night in worship, um, the band started playing her dad's favorite song, which she hadn't heard since the funeral. And as you can imagine, it stirred a lot of emotion in her. Um, she came and asked myself and another leader to like, physically hold her and help her stand because she was, she was struggling. Um, and we put our arms around her and the three of us together fought all three of us through tears to 
belt out worship. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. And, and as we were singing that, she was making this powerful statement that she will praise in any circumstances. And yeah. It was awesome to be a part of that moment with her. And then afterwards, we talked about how one day she will sing that song again with her dad when they're reunited. This is what confidence in the victory looks like. We see a similar thing happen for Gideon as he realizes his victory is certain. We'll read this um, verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. Once we realize what God has done for us, the victory he has won, our response is worship. While you wait for your victory, worship. Choose to praise him in advance of the victory. As you fix your eyes on him daily, you'll start to see with new eyes like Gideon, who no longer saw how outnumbered he was, but saw how big his God is. Like Gideon, we can have confidence before the victory. Judges goes on to describe the battle. Gideon and his 300 men, they surround the Midianite camp. They smash torches, they blow trumpets. It causes a lot of confusion, which God uses to turn them on one another. They actually turn on each other and fight each other. And then Gideon rounds up some more Israelites to chase the ones that escape from this moment. And uh, the Midianite force is decidedly defeated. The victory is won, as we knew it would be. All is good. But then... Just as we're celebrating this victory, the next part of the story gives us a warning. So let's look at the importance of having dependence after the victory. Because sadly, Gideon's story has a twist. After the big battle is successfully won, and he can start to relax, we see a different side of Gideon emerge, and we get a lesson in what not to do after the victory. Let's read the account in Judges 8 to see where it all goes wrong. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them, that's the Midianite kings, and took the ornaments off their camels. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. He said, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. They answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each man threw a ring from his plunder into it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and note this, the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family." Here's the thing, up to this point, Gideon has had almost no choice but to depend on God. He's been in such a precarious position, so out of his depth and outnumbered that he's had to rely on God. But now that the victory has happened, he starts to turn from God into three traps of independence. First, we see him turn into uh, increase in pride as he turns from depending on God to depending on himself. We see a dramatic drop-off in the references to God and God being consulted in the last bits of Gideon's story. And Gideon himself decides to take control and set the agenda. He decides that he and his troops are going to pursue this tiny remnant, which wasn't necessary, which he did for revenge, because it turns out these um, kings that he was pursuing were the ones that killed his brothers. And when things are going well, we start to take a bit too much, we can start to take a bit too much credit for our, our own success. 
We start to think, maybe I can do as good a job, if not better, than God at deciding what I'm going to do with my life. I remember um, J. John using the example of where is God in the, if if your life is a car, where is God sat in that car? Where is God in that car? Is he in the driving seat? Is he in the passenger or the back seat? Or is he actually in the boot? Pride is shown in how much we involve God in the decisions of our lives. The big, but also involving him in the daily decisions. And pride's also shown in how we respond to criticism or disrespect. We see that Gideon, um, if you read a bit earlier in Judges 8, had absolutely no chill when people disrespected him and refused to help him. This passage also shows Gideon turning to materialism. He asked for more than his share of the plunder, and then he uses that plunder to basically turn Israel into worshipping it. And they all bow down before it. Now, we might not literally worship gold today, bow down to gold, but it's so easy, isn't it, to buy into the lie that our happiness can be found in something physical or, or saving up for that mortgage or getting the latest iPhone or having that holiday. And social media certainly doesn't help. I don't know about you, but I've never put my phone down after scrolling through Instagram on TikTok or TikTok and thought, yeah, I certainly feel content with my life. I certainly don't need another holiday or to make my house look like that influencer's house. So Gideon turns to pride, materialism, and also power. Initially, Gideon ticks the box. He says, no, I won't be king over you, nor my sons. But actually, this is more of a, um, he, he said one thing and he did another thing. Because straight away, he takes a tribute. That's something only kings did in those days. He takes a tribute of the gold. And um, then he also, it, it, the author's careful to not tell us that he took the garments of the kings of Midian. And if that's not obvious enough, he names his son Abimelech, which means my father is king. So he sets himself up as de facto king, but he also sets himself up as de facto priest. He makes a priestly garment called an ephod, which was something that priests wore to go into the presence of God and to help them hear from God about decisions, which are two things that Gideon has experience of, but it's almost like he's clinging onto those things and wanting to, to take the control and make sure he doesn't lose that access. Gideon reaches for the two most powerful positions in society in those days, and he wasn't supposed to have them. And likewise, we might look to a certain position or maybe a certain reputation or a career path as the missing piece in our lives. Gideon turned to pride, materialism, and power, and after starting so well, we see that his story ends badly. And sadly, this is a familiar pattern in the Bible. Because if the enemy can't get us to ignore God's call on our life, he tries to persuade us to go beyond God's call. You see, God was not supposed to be a part of Gideon's story. Gideon was supposed to be part of God's story. The same is true of us. Do we live like God is part of our story or do we live like we're part of his story? I am not the main character in my life. That role is reserved only for God. God has an awesome call on your life. He invites you to partner with him in all kinds of ways, but we must remain dependent on him in good seasons and bad seasons. We must avoid these traps of pride, materialism, and power, and many others that point towards us being independent of him. So how do we cultivate dependence then? How do we stay in a place of dependence, whatever the season? Well, I found that putting rhythms and habits in place is so key because then you do them whether you're feeling it like you need God or not. 
And I think most powerful for me is, at the moment with staying dependent on God is prayer. Now, there are different types of prayer, and I was reflecting on how each of these different kind of types of prayer that we can pray actually help us return to that place of dependence on God. We can pray, we can pray praise prayers, thanking God for who he is. That reminds us that he is God and we are not. We can pray gratitude prayers, thanking him for specific things that he's given to us. That reminds us that everything comes from him. We can pray prayers of petition, asking him for things, for our daily bread, for what we need for that day, whether it be strength or hope or peace or wisdom. And we can pray prayers of repentance. God, would you search me and see if there's any offensive way in me? Is there any way in which independence is creeping into my way of thinking, the way I approach you, and be quick to say sorry and turn from those things? And this season of prayer and fasting that's coming up is a perfect opportunity to cultivate dependence. Using the Zoom prayer meetings to um, kind of frame your day. And also in recent fasting seasons, I've um, started using my stomach like I use the reminders on my phone. Um, When my stomach tells me I'm hungry, I try and see that as a reminder to pray and particularly to tell God how I'm spiritually hungry for him and more hungry for him than the thought of whatever food my stomach decides it wants. I ask him to sustain me in that moment and anything else that pops into my head and I use that I'm feeling hungry moment to remind me to pray. So let's learn from Gideon and let's choose dependence, whether life is going well or badly, but especially after the victory. So Gideon's victory turns sour and we see that he wasn't the victor we were hoping for. And we see this throughout the book of Judges and throughout the whole Old Testament. It leaves us with this disappointment Leaders like Moses, Joshua, David, Josiah, they seem to be the answer. They lead God's people to victory. They bring them closer to God's plan for Israel, but then somehow, at some point, they let us down. They never quite manage it. They never quite finalize that victory. We're left waiting for a king who will lead God's people to perfect victory and establish a kingdom of righteousness. We're waiting for a priest who will help us draw into the presence of God. But everyone we've met so far throughout the Old Testament, including Gideon, falls so far short until Jesus. Jesus comes as the perfect king who brings about complete victory over all evil. He establishes a kingdom of mercy and righteousness. He is the one that was prophesied about throughout the Old Testament, the one that every flawed leader of Israel points us to. And Jesus comes as our perfect high priest, the one who gave his very life so that we might draw into the presence of God, into the holy of holies. He is the one who made a way for us to know God more intimately than David or Moses or Gideon could ever have possibly imagined. Wherever you are, we're gonna respond now. So why don't you stand with me if you're able? I want us to respond to the ultimate victory and the ultimate victor today. The one that Gideon's story points us to. And maybe you're here today and you'd like to meet this victor Jesus for the first time. Maybe as I've been talking about the victory that he won for us, maybe you've thought, yeah, I could do with some of that or all of that. Maybe you're feeling tired of battling the feeling that something's missing or wrong then I wanna invite you to step into the victory of Jesus today for the first time, which we're gonna do as we take communion together.